The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. We can worship God in many different ways. Music is just one of them. Okay, Music is just one of them. This morning, we're going to look at the book of Mark. And you're going, wait, wait, no, we're done with the book of Mark, aren't we? Well, yes. But, so we're going to look at the book of Mark a little bit differently today. Um, which is better, an aerial photograph of your hometown or a picture of your front door? Well, it depends, right? What's the purpose? If you want somebody to find your house... First, you need the aerial photograph to get them there, right? Then once they're there, you have the picture of the front door so they know they found the right house, <laughs> right? They both have a place. They both have a purpose. Um, sometimes you need that big picture. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the big picture of the book of Mark. Think about how you read a novel. I brought up one up here. Uh, I, I, George R. R. Martin, Dance with Dragons, okay? And if you've ever read a novel, whether it's, you know, this novel or Harry Potter or George Grisham or pick a name that I don't know, okay? How many of you, when you read a novel, you read one paragraph a day? You just read one paragraph and then you set it down. Anybody do that when they read a novel? No, no. no. You don't do that, okay? You know, if, if you wanted to read, you know, here, here's this one here. Is, it's called Desiring God by John Piper. I first read this when I was in college back in the 1980s. Um, it's still a good book, all right? I did not read this when I read it. I did not read one paragraph at a time and then put it away. Okay? We don't read that way. Whether you're reading a piece of nonfiction or a piece of fiction, that's not the way we read books. But yet, Many times that's how we read the Bible. We just read one little piece a day. Think about you when you eat. How many of you eat just one little baby carrot and you go, okay, I'm good for the day? <laughs> or one chicken wing. And you go, I'm good. And I'm good for the day. I don't need anything else all day long. Unless you're sick, none of us do that, right? We don't do that. That's not how we eat. We're not satisfied. We're not nourished. And eventually, I mean, especially those of us that are kind of big, that ain't not, we ain't going to survive on that. Maybe for a while. We have some reserves there, but not long term. I pray that today we will get a hunger for God's Word that is greater than our hunger for chicken wings, for vegetable soup, or apple pie a la mode. All put together, okay? Let's stand as we read from the gospel according to Mark. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. You want me to read the whole book? No, we're not going to do that. 
I'm going to start in verse 1, then I'm going to skip down to verse 7. Okay? Starting in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 7. And as he was preaching, that's John the Baptist, and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I. I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the, with, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens saying, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Let us pray. God, we just thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for this gospel that Mark wrote, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us as we study your word today, Lord, that we will gain a hunger for it, that as we read it, we will gain a satisfaction and a nourishment from it because you are the mighty God. You are our sole source of eternal life. You are the mighty God, and we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Darren has been preaching through this gospel for, I didn't go back and count, let's just say many, many months. And so two plus years, right? I'm going to do it in one day. <laughs> no, nah, I'm not bragging or anything. Okay. He was like, say what? Darren went through it slowly and methodically. You know, kind of like canoeing down the Missouri River. Slow and methodic. I mean, it's a great, you get to see a lot of scenes. There's a lot of things that you can see. If you, I would love to do that someday, by the way. That would be cool. As long as the barges didn't run me over. Um, but sometimes you take the airplane and you fly over. Right? Because you've got to be there. And I mean, you, you fly from here to St. Louis. The flight was probably only about an hour or so. So we're going to kind of take the 30,000-foot overview today. Why? Because both are important. It's not that what Derrida would do is wrong or what I'm doing is wrong. Both are important. Neither is better. Both are needed. You can learn from both. So the big idea for today... Oh, yeah, there's no slides. Because I didn't make none because... Anyways, my brain didn't let me. I'm sorry. The big idea for today is the gospel according to Mark... It is written for you. Read it to worship the living God. Read it to learn about Jesus and your salvation. Read it so that the Holy Spirit can change your mind and your life. Isn't that the whole purpose of Scripture? Is to change us. Not just to make you feel good, but to change you. So we're going to look at Mark's Gospel today, and as we go through it, one, you might want to put a bookmark at chapter 1, page, the first page of Mark, because we're going to go look at verses, and we're going to come back to the first, and we're going to go, and they're going to come back. So get your nimbles ready to go, okay? Get your apps going, ready to go. We're going to go through the book of Mark multiple times today. Um, when we look at the gospel of Mark, there's at least five themes that are in here that can change your life. And I say at least because after I got the five, I probably missed some. I just quit looking for more. It's like, because, you know, I want to go eat lunch too. You know, so 
We're looking at really five themes. The first theme we see in verse 1 of 1-1. It says, this is the book. In this book it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the only gospel that starts this way. This is the only one that calls itself the gospel. Gospel, the good news. In Old English, it was God's spell. It's the good news. And Mark calls this the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says it's just the beginning. This book is not a history book. You've read history books in school, maybe whether you wanted to or not, right? This is not a history book, but it's historically accurate. This book is not a biography, but it tells of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. This book is not poetry, but it should affect your heart and your emotions greatly. The gospel is Jesus' words, his parables, his commands, his teachings, where he corrects errors, his questions that he has. The gospel is Jesus' actions, his healing miracles him casting out demons, him commanding the storm to cease, him creating food for everyone, him cleansing the temple. The gospel is Jesus doing the will of the Father, which ultimately is dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead. This book is not the whole gospel. He said it's the beginning of the gospel. The gospel continues throughout the entire New Testament. The letters of Paul, Luke writing the book of Acts, the other letters in the New Testament, they are the gospel also. Read them too. And so we see that first theme just here at the beginning, and it just summarizes the whole book, that everything that you're reading from this point on is the gospel. It's not just what Jesus said. It's not just what he did. But all of it together, it's the gospel. So as you read through this book, it is the gospel. The second theme that we see, and it's easy to see, is this word immediately. It's Sometimes translated, depending on your translation, sometimes it's translated immediately, sometimes it's translated at once, or just then, or quickly, or some other synonym of the same. But that word is used over 40 times in this book. That's a lot for as short as this book is. And the first time we see it is in chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Jesus, immediately coming up out of the water, Verse 12, immediately the Spirit impelled him. Verse 18, immediately they left their nets. And that's talking about Simon and Andrew. And verse 20, which is still in chapter 1, immediately he called them. And he he called John and James. And verse 21, immediately he went on the Sabbath. He entered a synagogue. Verse 23, there was a man in the synagogue. Whoop, I'm sorry, I missed, the, I missed something there. Uh, 
just then. Okay, the beginning of verse, my, my translation says, just then. That's immediately then. A man entered the synagogue who had an unclean spirit. 28, immediately the news about him spread. 30, and now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus. Verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleaned. This is just chapter 1. We see this word over and over again. I think it's the densest population is chapter 1, but as you read through, you see this word over and over again. And it's not always referring to the same thing. Sometimes it's God acting immediately. Jesus came out of the water and immediately the Holy Spirit came down. Sometimes Jesus acts immediately. He heals somebody. He goes somewhere. Sometimes one of the disciples are acting immediately. Jesus called them, and they reacted immediately. They left their nets. I mean, imagine you quitting your job on zero days' notice. Okay? Not because you were mad and ticked off at the boss. You left because of God. You've got to be insane to do something like that. But they did. They reacted immediately. Do you think God is slow to act or react to your situation in life? Do you think God who has lived for eternity is slow? Do you think the God who created this world however many thousands of years ago does not see your life in its proper timeline? How slow are you to react on what God has commanded you to do? Whether you've read it in Scripture here, He has shown you, pers- or shown you in your life. God acts the instant He needs to. Think about all the people in the book of Mark that were healed. How many of them had to wait years before Jesus came by? Maybe even decades. Maybe even a lifetime. How many had lifelong ailments? Jesus healed immediately, but they had to wait years for him to come by. But God is never late. God acts exactly when he intends to act. Doesn't make sense to us sometimes. But God's timing's perfect. We're always in a hurry. So God acts when he wants to. Likewise, our obedience should be immediate. Like the disciples here. They God said, Jesus came by and said, Come, follow me. And they said, Okay, let's go. They didn't wait. When God says, To live the fruit of the Spirit, he means now. Do not wait to show kindness and goodness to that person in your life. Extend patience immediately. God acts immediately and expects the same from you. It's a step of faith to react immediately. Nothing is gained from delaying. And anybody who knows me, Knows I don't react quickly all the time. So yes, I'm preaching to me too. I tend to ponder things greatly. So we see the first theme, that this is the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. We see the second theme that God acts immediately. We need to act immediately. We come to the third theme. And now we're, we're really still going to start moving around the, 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 the book more. The third theme found in Mark is the authority Jesus has. At his baptism, God pronounced a blessing and, give, and gave the Holy Spirit. And by doing that, he gave Jesus authority on earth. And we see that in what we read in chapter 1, verses 10 to what 12. We see how God gave Jesus authority. We see God giving Jesus authority again in chapter 9, verse 7, when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then it says, Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And he's talking to Peter, James, and John, because those are the only three that were up there at the time. God gave him authority. But not only does, does God give Jesus authority, we see that Jesus has authority. And he has authority over men. We just saw that in chapter 1. He had authority over the disciples to call them to follow him. Peter and Andrew, James and John, he said, come, they followed, because he had authority. I mean, think about it. If, you know, who do you, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, come follow me right now, I need, I need you for something. You know, you might follow me here at church, but, I mean, if some random person came up to you in the store and just said, hey, come follow me, are you going to follow them? I mean, they're not wearing a uniform. They don't have a name tag on. <laughs> are you going to follow them? Probably not. And it's like, yeah, no. <laughs> You're not going to follow them. But Jesus has the authority to follow him. We see that again in chapter 2, verse 14. It says, as he passed by the way, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. So here Jesus calls some stinky, uneducated fisherman. Now he calls this, this blue-collar tax collector. He calls everybody. He's not picky. It doesn't matter what your job. There, there, there's no perfect job for Jesus. He can call you. But he called him. And he followed. Jesus has the authority to declare who were his disciples. We see that in chapter 3, verse 14. It says, And he appointed twelve so that they could be with him, and he could send them out to preach. Okay? There were more than twelve people who were following Jesus around. You read through the other Gospels, and there was probably a group of over a hundred that dedicated, that followed Jesus around almost all the time. But at this point in time, Jesus said, okay, here are the top 12. Here are the ones I'm going to mentor, I'm going to call out to follow me more specifically. And he had the authority to do that. In chapter 6, verse 7, and he summoned the 12, and he began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So Jesus had the authority not only to call them, but he had the authority to send them out. And not only did he have the authority to send them out, he had the authority to give them authority over the unclean spirits. And that's another place we see Jesus has authority over. Jesus had authority over the demons. We see that back in chapter 1. In verse 24, 23, 
Just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business, and this unclean spirit cried out, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. Jesus commanded this demon, and the demon listened. He had to. He was required to obey Jesus because Jesus had the authority and the power. And as we read through this, we see that over and over again. As you read through this book, chapter 3, verse 11, when the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. Jesus had authority over and over. We see in chapter 5, when he went to the country of Gennesaret, yes, yeah. Yeah, I, I used to know how to say that word. Gerasness. <laughs> he went across the Sea of Galilee. And he met the guy who was living in the cemetery. And he had a legion of demons in him. And the demons had to obey Jesus and leave the man. We see that over and over. Jesus had authority over the demons. Jesus had authority over the storms, over the weather. Twice in this book, in chapter 4 and in chapter 6, there was a storm on the Sea of Galilee. We would call it a lake, the Lake of Galilee. And the disciples were freaking out. They thought they were going to die. And Jesus just said, peace. And, and the storm stopped with just a word. The creator of the air and the water has authority over the storms. Jesus has authority over the teachings of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the educated ones. They were the preachers of the day. That's kind of a scary thought. So the Pharisees, they were the ones that went to seminary. They were the ones that taught, kind of like you know, what pastors do. And how many times do they have good encounters with Jesus? Almost always it's negative because their teachings are wrong. But Jesus has authority over them. We see that in chapter 8, in verse 14. And they had gotten, and the disciples had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And Jesus was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out for the watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the disciples are freaking out, going, We didn't get bread from the Pharisees. But Jesus is talking about the teachings of the Pharisees. He said, Watch out for them because they're not right. They're insidious. We see that in chapter 10. When Jesus, they, they ask Jesus about divorce and marriage, and Jesus clarifies it. He sets the record straight. We see that in Mark chapter 11, when Jesus went to the temple. And what does he do? He kicks the people out. In chapter 11, verse 17, he's in the temple. And Jesus began to teach, saying to him, It is written, is it not written, My house should be a house of prayer for all the nations? but you have made it a den of robbers. 
The Pharisees allowed the temple to be used for other things. They used it as a shortcut. They used it as a marketplace. As long as they got a cut. All right? And Jesus says, no, that is not the purpose of my house. He corrected their teachings. And you see this over and over throughout the book of Mark. As you go through the book of Mark, you'll find Jesus has authority over Sabbath, over family, over Scripture, over sickness, over the future, and finally over death itself. We see in chapter 5, In verse 35, and while he was still speaking, that's Jesus, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, upon hearing what was spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion, and people loudly weeping and wailing, and he entered, and he said to them, why? Make such a commotion and weep. This child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. Jesus had the power over death. And we know not over just the death of others, but his own death. And we see that in the last chapter. In Mark 16, 6. The angel said to them, Do not be amazed. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who had been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Jesus had the power, authority over death. That's a repeated theme. His Jesus' authority. Do you look to the authority of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you live your life through the authoritative words of Scripture? Do you put authority in these words? Or do you do like so many? It's like, well, it's, it's, it's a, it has some good sayings in here that make me feel good. I'll read those and ignore the rest. Or do you take this as an authority, as a way to live your life? So we see the themes that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see the theme of God acting immediately and people responding immediately. We see the theme of authority, the authority that Jesus has. The fourth theme is that Jesus has compassion on the crowds. As you go through this book, as you read big chunks of this book, so if you read this one verse at a time, you don't catch these themes. You find these themes because you read it all at once. You read chunks of it at a time. It's like, well, that would take a long time, Pastor. Well, actually, this is a short book. I, I've, I, I, I read part of it and timed it and did math. I figure if I, if, if I could sit and read and concentrate long enough, I could read this book in about 52 minutes. How many, you ever sit for an hour and read a book? There you go. You can read this in an hour. Give or take a few how fast you read. But when you read it broadly, you see these themes. 
you see these things that are repeated over and over again that you miss when you read in the small chunks. This fourth theme is the compassion for the crowds. Going back to chapter 1, in verse 32, when evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the evening, it's bedtime. It's like, I'm tired. It's been a long day. That's when they started bringing everybody. And he stayed up and he healed people. You don't do that without compassion. We see that again in chapter 6. Verse 33. The, crowd, the people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. That's the, Jesus and the disciples. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and, felt, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Not only did he teach them, you go down to verse 37, and he answered them, you give them something to eat because they were hungry. And there were more than 5,000 of them there. And they took one little boy's lunch and Jesus fed all of them. Because he had compassion for them. We see that again in chapter 8 when he fed another crowd of 4,000 people. And, this, and it's, I'm not reading every verse where he says compassion. I'm not reading every verse where he has authority. I'm not reading every verse that has immediately in it. But you see the themes throughout the book because when you read the book as a whole, you see these themes. And you see how they tie together. In other places in Mark, we see his compassion to individuals. Never is it recorded that he turned anyone away. Disciples tried to turn children away. In chapter 10, the disciples were like, hey, yeah, go away, kids, you're bothering us. In chapter 10, verse 13, and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He doesn't say that about Jesus very often. He was indignant. He's like, guys, stop it. Let the kids come. Don't keep them from me, for the kingdom of God belongs to them. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them and laying his hands on them. He had compassion for the children. What can children do for you? Usually not much. You know, by definition, kids are chaotic. Kids and pets. Okay? If you want chaos in your house, have kids and pets. You'll have chaos in your house. Even the best kids are chaotic at times. That's okay. We're chaotic sometimes too to God. And he has compassion on us as he had compassion on these kids. Jesus had compassion on the hurting, the outcast, the helpless. Who do you show compassion to? Do you only show compassion to, you know, nice people? to wealthy people, people who can help you, who can give you something in return? Or do you show compassion on those who have nothing to give you? You have nothing to gain from showing compassion to.
Because that's what Jesus did. He gave compassion to us because we can't give anything to God that he doesn't already have. We bring nothing to the table, and yet he shows compassion for us. And that's what he calls us to do, to have compassion immediately, not to wait. So we have the theme of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the theme of Jesus and us acting immediately. We have the theme of Jesus' authority. We have the theme of Jesus has compassion for the crowds. And the fifth theme is that we examine today is the need for rest. You go, wait a minute, what? No, that's not right. Rest? We're supposed to work. Resting's for the lazy. We're not supposed to rest. God made us to work. But he also made us to rest. Go back to chapter 1. What's the first thing Jesus did after he was baptized? Chapter 1, verse 12. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. Now think about this. The next time we hire a pastor at this church, all right, I don't know when that'll be. All right, maybe it'll be 30 years from now after Darren's an old man and, and, and finally keels over. Well, I don't know when the next time we're going to hire a pastor here, okay? But to think about the next time you hire a pastor at a church, and the first thing he does is goes out into the woods on his personal camping trip for a month. All right? No, he doesn't preach. He doesn't teach. He doesn't meet anybody for lunch. He doesn't have office hours. He goes out and prays for 30 days on his own by himself. That's his first mission when you hire him. Most of us would freak out and go, what, 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 what do you mean? No. That's what Jesus did. He went out by himself to rest and to pray before he started his ministry. After his public ministry began, look what he did. Verse, chapter 1, verse 35. After he, they all start bringing people at nighttime, and he stayed up, in verse 35 he says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. So he had a short night of sleep because he stayed up late healing people, doing ministry. And then he took time to go out by himself to pray, to get away. But he did, just didn't do it in the morning. Um, in chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples. Sometimes he left with his disciples. It wasn't just him. He took his, the men he was mentoring, the men he was teaching. He took them with him. Now in chapter 7, they didn't stay there long by themselves because the great multitude followed in verse 13, and he went up on the mountain and summoned them, those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. So he called his followers up. It was probably more than just 12, but then he named the 12 who was going to be his disciples. But he went up, and they went away, a leadership retreat, so to speak, up on the mountain. And he named the 12. He didn't do it at a public meeting, but in the solitude of a mountain wilderness. In chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, 
They took, him, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. Other times he left in the evening. So we have an example of him getting up early in the morning. But here's a time when they left in the evening to go out and be in solitude and to rest. Because his, and then you keep reading there, he needed to rest. He fell asleep in the boat, which is okay, that's fine. But then there was a storm, and he kept on sleeping. He was tired. He needed to sleep. He, could, he was so tired, he slept through a storm. Okay? Most of us can't do that. I've actually done that. I was sleeping in the back, top bunk of the back bed. I was six. And the mobile home we lived in moved sideways, about 10 feet or so. It broke a window. My mom opened the front door and screamed. None of that woke me up. I didn't wake up until the neighbor guy was carrying me out and it was raining. And he goes, don't worry, it's okay. And I remember my six-year-old thinking, oh, I didn't know anything was wrong. It wasn't until I saw, grew up and saw pictures later that kind of like, oh, I slept through that? Really? Wow. But sometimes your body needs to sleep and you sleep through stuff. You need to sleep. We need the rest. And Jesus could sleep because he knew he was okay. The disciples didn't need to, he didn't need to be awake 24-7. He knew the disciples knew how to handle boats. He was okay with them. And being Jesus, he knew the storm was coming. And he was okay with that because he knew he wasn't going to die in the storm. Because he knew God's plan for his life. Even when there's storms in our life, can you be okay? I've always wondered what I would do if some gunman came up to me and held a gun to my head and said, you know, do this or die. You know, would I have the gumption to say, what, you're threatening me with heaven? You know, uh, I, I read a book, and it was, it was about a man who had cancer, and he, he was a middle-aged man, so he, he had young kids, and he, he wrote a book about it while he was dying of cancer. And one of the things he said is like, well, some of, you know, most of us, we don't know when we're going to die. I just happen to have the knowledge that I know when I'm going to die. It's like, I don't know if I could do that. But God gives us the peace. He gives us the strength to weather the storm, whatever the storm in life may be. In chapter 6, verse 30, the apostles gathered together with Jesus and, he, and reported all that they had done and all that had been taught. And he said, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. The, this was after Jesus had sent out the disciples to go out and preach and gave them authority over the demons. They came back. Good things happened. And he says, great, let's go rest. Sometimes we need to rest after good things that have happened. We see that in the Old Testament with Elijah. After he was on Mount Carmel, good things happened. He had to go rest. He had to go sleep. And the angel had to wake him up and give him some food. And then he slept some more. Then he woke him up and, and slept. He had to rest. And he went away for 40 days. And then God gave him a new mission to do. We need to rest God. Even in Jerusalem, on the eve of his arrest, on the eve of his trial and execution, in chapter 14, where does Jesus go? He goes to the garden with just him and the disciples to do what? To pray and to get away and get ready for what was coming. He needed to rest. 
before a big event. It doesn't get any bigger than that. We need to rest. We see again and again that Jesus takes time to be alone. He makes the 12 disciples be alone with him. Should that not challenge you to find time to rest? I know when you have small kids, it's hard, but it's not impossible. God designed our bodies to sleep roughly one-third of every day. To shortchange that is to invite health problems. They did sleep studies where they literally sleep-deprived people, and they had to stop the study after like three or four days because people were literally going insane. We have to sleep. God commanded Israel to rest one day in every seven, as he himself did at creation. To ignore that command is to invite burnout and fatigue. Resting is a step of faith. To work 24-7 is selfish dependence on your own strength. Planning, planned resting is putting your faith in God for the outcome. You are to work six days and rest the seventh. Do you allow your spouse to rest or do you make them keep working every day? No, I'm resting, but you know, bring me food, dear. Bring me more food, dear. You know, do you allow them to rest? Do you allow your employees to rest if you, if you oversee other people? Do you give them time? Do you make sure they have a proper time off? Do you make sure they're using their vacation time and their sick time? <coughs> to not rest is to disobey God's commands. So take steps of faith. Plan to rest. And so we see these five themes, at least, through this book. And to see themes across the book, you have to read the whole book in chunks, in big chunks, if not all at once. If you read Mark only one verse at a time, you'll probably miss these themes. We don't read any other books that way. Why the Bible? Yes, verse by verse, study has its place. When you're studying verse by verse, when you're looking up the meanings of words, you're examining syntax, you're look, you have a Bible dictionary and looking up the customs of the day, the history of the area, they have a place. But using your phone app, where they send you one verse a day, and it's like a random verse, that's like eating one carrot stick a day and get, calling it good and thinking you're... you're you're, you're well-nourished. nourished. If you have been a Christian more than a few years, you need to start reading more Scripture in bigger chunks. You need to start wearing out your Bible from overuse. You need to start freaking out your non-Christian co-workers about how much you read the Bible each week. You need to read chapters at a time. Just like you read you know, a Harry Potter or a John Grisham novel. There's nothing magical about reading a verse or even a chapter a day. And you know what? The verse numbers, chapter numbers in the Bible, they're not scripture. They're added by a Catholic priest in the Middle Ages. And those little subheadings that you have above paragraphs or at the top of the page, those are added by the publisher. Those aren't scripture either. So don't Limit yourself by those numbers. Reading 
you know. I have found it so incredibly frustrating with my brain in recent years. I can't sit and read like I used to. I miss reading scripture like I once did. I skim, I look stuff up, but I don't just sit and read. I know that's my problem, not yours. But we need to turn off the TV. We need to turn off the radio. Turn on some quiet music and just read. Read when you're eating alone. Read when you wake up. Read before you go to bed. Read on your break at work. Put reading time on your calendar and schedule it. Do whatever you must do to read God's Word. When you read the book of Mark, you will find the authority of Jesus repeated. You will find compassion of Jesus had on those who are hurting. You will find rest in God, in God the Father through Jesus Christ. You will find that Jesus acts immediately as you should too. But most importantly, you will find that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ found in the gospel according to Mark. This gospel is good news. The best news, the only news that leads to eternal salvation. This gospel of Jesus Christ will change your life if you let it. Jesus began preaching in this gospel by saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Today is your day to repent. Repent for the first time. Repent for the hundredth time. Repent today. Repent. You repent for what? Your sins. Okay, we always say that. that's just kind of generic, right? But what sins? Repent for your lack of resting in Christ. Repent for your lack of compassion. Repent for not obeying the authority of Jesus Christ. Repent for not acting immediately on faith. Repent for not believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Ask God to change your heart. Ask God to change your mind. Ask God to change your life immediately, for you do not know what tomorrow holds. Let's pray. Lord God, you're a mighty and a precious Lord.